Uh, I'm going to say no one's better than me. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's go. Blow up. Can you smell it? That, my friends, is the smell of a franchise quarterback by the name of Tua Tungavaloa. Your Miami Dolphins quarterback, Tua Tungavaloa. It's actually happened. Now, first and foremost, welcome to Locked On Dolphins. I'm your host, Kyle Krabs. Lead editor of USA Today's Dolphins Wire, senior NFL draft analyst at thedraftnetwork.com, lifelong Dolphins fan, and one super stoked Miami Dolphins fan this morning. Uh, the 2020 NFL draft has come and gone, and the Miami Dolphins and their blueprint for what the next phase of this organization is going to look like is now pretty clear. We made some coaching changes. We're going to get into that today. We're going to talk about how the pieces of the puzzle for the NFL draft fit into this coaching staff and the philosophies that we're likely going to see be implemented for the 2020 Miami Dolphins. And you, as a Dolphins fan, should be so pumped at what the Dolphins went out and did this weekend. And I will be the first to tell you that I was not in love with with every single piece that the Dolphins acquired. And if you compared them to my own individual rankings, which were graded through uh, a spectrum that was not the same spectrum that the Dolphins are grading players through, of course, because I, as an NFL draft analyst, I'm grading for 32 teams, not for an individual team. When you look at who the Dolphins picked and who they chose based on their own criteria and what we can now assert this identity of this football team to be, you should be through the roof because it is everything this Dolphins organization has not been for 10 years. Steve Ross, to his credit, seems like he's made the right coaching hire. But Steve Ross, for the first 10 years that he owned this football team, was chasing an Aaron Rodgers, Green Bay, high-flying, wide-open passing attack. And that's not what the Dolphins are going to be. And you should be excited. And that's something that I wrote before the draft. I talked about how whoever the Dolphins choose to be their next quarterback, don't expect him to be the next Dan Marino. Because Dan was special for a reason. Because he's special. To expect whoever is going to be the next player to be the quarterback of the Miami Dolphins, to be that is unrealistic and it's unfair. And even with all the hype and pomp and circumstance around Tua Tungavalo, let's be honest, he's not Dan Marino. He's a different style player. He's a modern quarterback. And what the Dolphins are going to do, instead of trying to make him into a Aaron Rodgers pass the ball 40 times a game, team is on your shoulders, this team's remainder of their NFL draft proved to you that this team wants to ram the ball down your throat. 
play after play after play after play. Jordan Howard, we knew when Shane Gailey came in, gap power running system was most likely going to be the play. They signed Eric Flowers. More, another piece of that puzzle. They want to win the point of attack. And then you look at Austin Jackson, left tackle. You look at Robert Hunt, right guard or right tackle, 39th overall pick. Team trades two fourth-round picks to move up like 15 spots to go get Georgia guard Solomon Kindly. These three dudes are combined 1,000 pounds of muscle. When's the last time you looked at the Miami Dolphins offensive line and said, oh, their identity is this? When's the last time you looked at the Miami Dolphins offensive line and it wasn't just a smorgasbord of pieces thrown together as an afterthought? There is intent behind this offensive line. They are going to ram the ball down people's throats. They're going to try. And between Eric Flowers, Austin Jackson, Robert Hunt, Solomon Kindly, and Jesse Davis, plus Ted Karras in the middle, plus 2019 for third-round pick Michael Dieter, who's 320 pounds. This team's got beef, guys. And one of my running hypotheses for the Dolphins' offense was it's going to replicate what you saw from the Alabama Crimson Tide. Physical, gap-power-heavy rushing attack win the point of attack, run downhill, and when the opposing team decides they're tired of you running the ball down their throat for six yards a pop, they're going to have those linebackers start to creep up, get into those gaps earlier. And as soon as you get those linebackers creeping up, two is going to ride that mesh point, pull that ball out, and throw the slant behind it. And you're going to gash them up the, up the, up the seam. And when a team decides they've had enough of that, they're going to take that too high safety down, they're going to walk them down onto the hash 10 yards off the ball, and they're going to tell them to sit. So that way you take away that slant route. Well, as soon as Miami sees you've gone from two highs to a single high because you've got those linebackers creeped up to stop the run and you're tired of getting nickeled and dimed in the, the quick game with the RPOs, they're going to play action pass and they're going to drop one over the top of you. It's a very simple concept but it works because of numbers game and spacing. And that's one of the things that Tua does as good as any quarterback that I've studied in recent memory. Remember, Tua is my third highest graded quarterback over the last four years. The players he was behind, Joe Burrow, 2020 class, Baker Mayfield, 2018 class. I had him rated higher than Deshaun Watson. And to Tua's credit... Out of that collective group, his RPO game is at the top. His ability to ride the mesh, read the linebackers, get out of the mesh point if he wants to throw, and then understand if his receiver has the separation he's supposed to or not. If he doesn't, you'll get a lot of intentional throwaways, uncatchable footballs. It's deliberate incompletions, though, because you you can't hold the ball in that situation. The ball has to get out of your hand either way. I've talked about how Tua needs to get better making quicker decisions, going to the check down quicker. That's not applicable in the RPO game because the line's block and run. The back's expecting the ball. So the line's climbing up the field. You've got to get the ball out of your hands quick. If not, you're going to get illegal men down. Field penalties in that component of the Dolphins' offense, the reason why it works is because you're putting people in binds. 
You're putting defenders in space, in binds, and they have to make a decision. And you can make them wrong every single time if you are reacting in real time to their decision-making. That's what the Dolphins' passing game is going to do, and Tua is the cream of the crop at that. Creme de la creme. But to get back to this offensive line, my God, can we call this the tidal wave? If this works, I'm fanboying out a little bit. And again, like I said, in a vacuum, did I love Austin Jackson as a prospect? No. Solomon kindly played through an injury. His 2019 tape wasn't great. But you look at the identity of these players all together and how these pieces of the puzzle are going to fit together. And that's why I'm not going to sit here and harp about the numbers of where I had guys graded on my draft board. Because I'm not evaluating them the way the Dolphins are evaluating them. The Dolphins are evaluating through the scope of shove the ball down your throat, go ahead and try and stop us, and when you do, we're going to throw on you. We're going to make you wrong in the passing game, and we're going to make you move in the running game. Miami fans, you should be so stoked about this plan because it's a coherent plan. Whether or not it works or not is a different story. Time will tell. But there's a plan. There's a coordinated effort. Everybody's on the same page. There's no mystery. You're not going out and signing Josh Sitton just to sign a guard. You're investing in your offensive line. You didn't address it. What's the difference? Addressing the offensive line is, hey, we have a need at guard. Okay, let's sign a 32-year-old over-the-hill Josh Sitton to play offensive guard for us. Okay, we're good. We don't need to do anything else. We signed a guard, a guy who's accomplished in the pros. We'll be good to go. And then what happens when Josh Sitton tears his peck in the third quarter of the first game of the season? Your offensive line is sunk again. Now with this Dolphins team, as this Dolphins team went out, they knew their team was no good up front in the trenches. Sign Ted Karras. Sign Eric Flowers. Draft Austin Jackson. Draft Robert Hunt. Draft Solomon Kindly. Go up and get your guy. All within the same archetype. Power at the point of attack. Big men who move fairly well. They're not rigid. They can play forward. And they have tons and tons of power. I cannot, Tony Sperano's offensive line is the last time I can remember a cohesive identity for the Dolphins' offensive line, and by proxy, a cohesive identity for the Dolphins' offense. Adam Gase was run everything through Jarvis Landry until I got tired of listening to Jarvis Landry talk about wanting to be used in different ways, so I'm going to trade him and hope for the best of my offense. Joe Philbin was overly conservative but overly wanting to pass the football and make their players something they are not. The Dolphins are setting their system and identifying players that fit that system instead of the other way around. God, working up an appetite over here. Getting all excited. Which is a perfect segue to tell you about our friends at Postmates. If you're like me, you probably start thinking about what to eat for dinner while you're eating lunch. I love food and that's why I love using Postmates. 
but I love them even more right now because I can get food delivered without leaving the house or even opening the door. Given what's going on in the world, they've created non-contact deliveries. So now when I order from local restaurants, everything gets left right outside my door. They also have Postmates Pickup which I've been using for to order takeout from my favorite local restaurants as well. Listen up, you guys need to be supporting your local neighborhood hotspots right now. I've only been ordering from local restaurants because it's a great way to support my community. And Postmates doesn't just deliver burgers and sushi either. They actually make my life easier by picking up everything I need from Walgreens and 7-Eleven and dropping it off outside my door. Just download Postmates on iOS or Android, find your favorites, and get everything you want delivered within the hour. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use code LOCKEDONNFL. That's code LOCKEDONNFL for $100 free of delivery credit for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmates. You guys excited or what? This is the big payoff. We've been waiting for, and they didn't disappoint. Did everything go the way I would have, ideally in, in a utopian world, did everything go the way I would have liked to have seen it? No. But Miami deserves a ton of credit for adjusting on the fly. The J.K. Dobbins situation is one that probably bit a lot of fans. They saw Miami trade back in the first round, four spots, pick up an extra four, which, by the way, was then used to go get Solomon Kindly. And then they traded, or they drafted Noah Igbahogany, the corner out of Auburn. We haven't even talked about the defense yet, guys. <laughs> and then they get around the 39, and they draft Robert Hunt. They make sure they get their second offensive lineman, double-dipping on tackles, if you will. I think Hunt will ultimately play inside at guard, at least to start his career. And then the wait starts. You saw DeAndre Swift come off the board at 35 to the Detroit Lions. Okay. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire went at 32. 32-35. Miami picked at 39. The watch is on. You've got 17 picks and three running backs worth your while. What are you going to come away with? Well, the Indianapolis Colts trade up and, and land Jonathan Taylor. Now you're down to two. We start ticking away. Getting close. Getting close. Getting close. J.K. Dobbins is the magic name. Right? He's the name to watch unless you're going to draft Cam Akers. Well, Cam Akers didn't happen. And then we get around the Baltimore at 55, and the Ravens take J.K. Dobbins. Tip of the cap to the Baltimore Ravens. This is why the, the Ravens are continuously a team that just pushes my stuffs Miami in the lockers because they draft so well, so consistently. And they did again this past weekend. They had a great draft. As a team that was 12-4 and four and has a quarterback on a rookie contract, they are a team that will be a threat to win a Super Bowl. But I'm going to tell you right now, if Miami keeps drafting like this and they keep kicking this these draft picks down the line, guys, we got two first-round picks, two second-round picks next year already. We're in great positioning because of the identity. We need these picks to hit, of course. They need to perform on the field, but the vision's there. Baltimore takes J.K. Dobbins at 55. Miami then takes Raekwon Davis at 56. And Dolphins fans collectively uh, pitch a fit. You know, why wouldn't you trade up? J.K. Dobbins, oh my goodness, we're not going to get any production out of the backfield. It's only Jordan Howard, what are we going to do? Well, we get to day three. 
and Miami trades a five, one of their three fives, for running back Matt Breida from San Francisco. If you don't know anything about Matt Breida, Matt Breida is what we in the business like to call explosive. He is a super twitched-up athlete. I want to read you guys some of the, the testing numbers on Matt Breida. This man at the Georgia Southern Pro Day ran 4.38 in the 40, benched 225 23 times with a 42-inch vertical and a 142-inch broad jump. If you're not well-versed in math, that is 11 feet and 10 inches in the broad. Extremely explosive. And you watch him run, and he is every bit of that burst and explosiveness and the change of pace back that Jordan Howard is not. And, as icing on the cake, Breed has NFL experience. You know he's going to at least to some degree translate to the pro level. Say what you will about J.K. Dobbins. J.K. Dobbins was a top 15 player for me in this year's NFL draft class, not accounting for positional value. But he never played it down in the NFL. Matt Breed has played three years in the NFL, has had at least 100 carries every single year for the San Francisco 49ers, has 381 career carries for almost 2,000 yards, five yards per carry. 5.5 yards per touch. He's got over 1,800 yards from scrimmage the last two years. And he's only started 18 games over that time span. He's an explosive player waiting for the opportunity to get more. He shared backfield with Tevin Coleman and Raheem Mostert. Not anymore. It's him and Jordan Howard. Breed is an exciting piece to add, and Miami did not panic when they lost out on J.K. Dobbins in round two. They came back, they reassessed, they made phone calls, and they found an explosive, dynamic running back who is extremely dynamic and explosive in the open field. He has low mileage, and he's 25 years old. It's a great job. It's a great job of pivoting off your original plan. And that's the thing about the NFL draft. You can't go in, and this is why we explore hypotheticals on this show for the last three months, because you go in and marry yourself to one outcome, and it doesn't turn out, what do you do? How do you adjust? For Miami, it was, let's get a young vet in here from a loaded backfield. That's exactly what they did. And then this team, to their credit, traded up later in day three to go get Curtis Weaver from Boise State. Now they drafted Jason Strobridge, who's a little bit more of an inside-outside hybrid player. He played some interior uh, defensive line at North Carolina. Weaver was super productive. He had almost 50 tackles for loss through three years at Boise State. Over 30 career sacks. Sack master in the Mountain West Conference. A little bit untraditional build. He's going to need some NFL strength and conditioning. And he's going to, there's a a medical question there, but he was seen as a little bit of a tweener and a little bit of medical issue that caused him to drop. Miami taking the risk at that point in the draft after standing pat through days one and two to get aggressive on day three and say, hey, you know, listen, we we don't need six seventh round picks. We don't need this kind of volume on day three, but we want to make our picks count when the depth of the class is apparent. Miami got aggressive outside the top 100. 
which tells you they knew there was depth in this class. Don't panic early. Get aggressive late. Miami very easily could have panicked. But if you panic to go get J.K. Dobbins, what do you give up to go get him? You give up a pick that's more than what you gave up for Matt Breida to jump up inside the top 50. You probably give up one of the key pieces that helped get you another interior offensive lineman in Solomon Connolly. So there's a domino effect in Miami. The philosophy of standing pat early, making your picks early, I've been pounding the table. I said the, the worst case scenario for me for Miami is not making three picks on the first round of this year's NFL draft. Once it became apparent they weren't going to get Joe Burrow at least. This team, I won't say they knocked this out of the park. I will refrain from a homerism approach for what Miami did this past weekend. But there's a clear, coordinated approach to team building, and there's going to be a clear, coordinated acceptance of what this team's identity is going to be. And that was backed up a little bit. Uh, Albert Breer uh, from Sports Illustrated dropped his weekly column this morning. And on that weekly column, he discussed... Uh, each of the vetting processes for the quarterbacks. And this is what was written about the Dolphins and Tua. Over time, Greer saw what he needed to see in relation to Tua and how he carries himself. And one coach who knows Brian Flores well noticed how over the year he was becoming more of a, quote, RPO guy, something that was proven out with the move from Patriots-rooted Chad O'Shea to offensive coordinator Chan Gailey, who brings a ton of college background. The thinking at the time of Gailey's hiring was that a simpler offense would be better for a young quarterback. Maybe we owe Josh Rosen a little bit of a thank you here because Josh Rosen got into this offense and his head was spinning. But the most important piece of that snippet was he's more of an RPO guy throughout the course of the season and the hiring of Chan Gailey was made with that intent because of his experience with college-coordinated Offenses. Gap power run, RPO offense. If you want to know what Miami's offense is going to look like, conceptually, plug in Alabama tape. Because that is the model. That is what we should expect to see. And the way the rule, the league is set up now, you've, you've heard the, the phrasing in the past, oh, college offenses won't work. College offense just brought the Baltimore Ravens, uh, to the number one seed in the AFC. And a college offense put 60 points on the Dolphins last year. Because it puts you in a bind if you've got the right people to execute it. Two is not going to run like Lamar Jackson. Let's call a spade a spade. He's not that kind of athlete. But what he is, is the most effective RPO trigger man in recent memory through the NFL draft. Obviously, you've seen Patrick Mahomes thrive in it. If you told me Patrick Mahomes was a better college RPO quarterback, I wouldn't argue with you. But if you're two to Patrick Mahomes in anything, you're doing pretty damn well for yourself. Dolphins fans, we have so much to get into. We have so much to talk about the aftermath. we got to talk about what the lineups are going to look like. we got to talk about how pieces fit. we got to talk about any additional moves the Dolphins may choose to make from here. They have some personnel decisions to make. 
We have so much to talk about. I want to go really in-depth on each one of these rookies and give you guys the chance to get to know them as individuals and football players. It's the next couple weeks for us. The draft is gone. We got a little bit of time. If the league calendar starts on schedule, training camp's rolling around in July. So May is going to be a month for us to dedicate to forecasting what the Dolphins lineup is going to look like, talk about these pieces in depth, how they fit amongst one another. There's so much to look forward to. I hope you will join me. Hit subscribe on the podcast. Tomorrow is Power to the Pod, and I'm sure you guys are going to have a ton of great questions as it pertains to the Dolphins draft class that I didn't get into today. I tried as best as I could to bottle up my reaction to Miami's draft class so that you guys could get it here. Because by the time I got to the end, when they drafted Noah Igbahogany at 30, was I a little surprised? Yes. But seeing the way the rest of it played out and what the blueprint looks like has me excited for an identity on offense and an identity of this team and an identity for team building that this team has not shown because people have not been on the same page. Because people have tried to make their coaches have tried to make these players things that they are not. That is not our problem with this regime. And that, as much hope as Tua brings, a player is only good as the position he's being put in to be successful. you got a great quarterback in Tua, and you've got a great environment around him that's doing the right things to allow him to shine and be successful when his number is called. So listen, I want to give a special shout out to friend of the podcast, Mike, and you as Dolphins fans, come back tomorrow. In the meantime, get stoked, get fired up. Kyle Krabs, Locked on Dolphins. I'll be back again tomorrow.